Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, August 4th, 2022. And tonight, instead of dealing with this week's Torah portion, we will discuss this coming Shabbos, a very special Shabbos, and the upcoming Tisha B'Av commemoration that is Sunday night, Saturday night and Sunday. Rabbi Yechiel Spiro tells this story about a young man We'll call him Yaakov. And he lived in Chicago, but he often visited New York. And whenever he visited New York, he had a very, very comfortable place to stay. There was a family, Yosef and Leah Goldenfeld, and they were very nice to him. They had room for him. And whenever he would come, they were very hospitable to him. And he enjoyed being able to visit and feel at home. And it was just a great experience whenever he came. He was once on a visit to New York. He was staying with Yosef and Leah. And he woke up in the morning and the atmosphere in the home was very different. In a somber tone, his host Yosef told him that during the night, his father, Yosef's father, the host's father, had passed away. Yaakov knew that Yosef's father was an elderly man, was not in such good health, but of course he was very sad to hear this news about his host. Although Yosef, at this moment, was not crying, but Yosef mentioned that he had to now go and inform his mother of this tragic news. Yaakov offered to help in any way that he could. There was nothing for him to do at that moment. So Yaakov went to Shul to go to Davin. An hour later, Yaakov came back. He came back into the home, and now Yosef, his host, was sobbing bitterly, bitter, bitter tears. And Yaakov was a young man, not so experienced in the world, but he was surprised that an hour ago, Yosef seemed to have been in control of himself, and now, an hour later, He's sobbing hysterically. What could have been so bad? What could have happened in the last hour that was worse than his own father's passing? A few minutes later, Yosef regained his composure, was able to stop crying. And he said to his guest, Yaakov, he said, I went to tell my mother that her husband had passed away. And she said, Oh, Yosef explained, My mother suffers from Alzheimer's. And she didn't even know who I was talking about. And Yosef said, I came home and started to cry because I don't know which is worse that my father died or that my mother doesn't even feel the loss. This Sunday, we will read, sing the Haftorah, 
for Tishabav, which is a passage from the Navi Yermio, Jeremiah the prophet. It includes this Pasuk, Komar Hashem Tzvakos. Thus does God, the Lord of hosts, say, His Bonanu consider the Kirul Makonanos and call the Makonanos. I'll explain in a moment. Fatisena Olenu Nehi, and they will rise up a bitter crying and wailing. Vateradna Enenu Dima, and our eyes will flow with tears. Makonanos, explains Rav Yosef Salavechik, are professional mourners. It was the practice in those times that you would hire. These women, sort of like, excuse the analogy, like animators, but animators at a funeral. And they would cry at appropriate times, and other people would follow their lead. And they would cry. And they would help to ensure that the atmosphere of the funeral was appropriate to the grief and to the passing of the person that had died. The Rav explains for Churban, for the destructions that we commemorate on Tisha B'av, we have to be instructed how to mourn because it doesn't come naturally. We have to learn, which is what we're going to do tonight and we've been doing it this week and over Shabbos. We have to be able to learn in order to appreciate what it is that we miss because it is not so obvious to most of us what it is that we are grieving. Consider this. Rabbi Yoni Lavi, a teacher in Israel, wrote, Imagine this. Imagine people who grew up in an imaginary world not this world, an imaginary world where marriage, if you're married to someone, it means that you send them a text message once a week and that you speak to them on the phone once a month. And that's it. That's, that's marriage. That's the whole relationship. No jokes about those people for whom that would actually be an improvement. We'll leave that to the side. But imagine a person who grows up in a world and this is what I'm taught. This is what marriage is. And I have no idea that there is something completely deeper, that there is an aspect of the relationship that is so much more meaningful and impactful and significant a person who grew up in this imaginary world, they wouldn't even know what to strive for. Tisha B'Av, for us, requires our imagination to mourn that which we have never experienced. On Tisha B'Av, we mourn the unity of the Jewish people that existed when the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, was standing, and the entire Jewish people would gather there three times a year. We mourn that unity, but we have never experienced it. 
We can't even imagine what would it be like. We mourn the fact that we do not have today clear, open acceptance of Torah, recognizing that the commandments of the Torah are beautiful and should be cherished and create value in our lives. Now, of course, that's true, but so often today we don't see it. Even if we're observing mitzvahs, we do so all too often in routine manners. And most importantly, we mourn the closeness with God. We mourn the ability to dwell in God's house, to be able to see on a daily basis miracles that God performs for us. But we don't even know what it is that we're lacking. And the result of all of that is that today, so many people in the world, in the Jewish world and in the non-Jewish world, the wider world, so many people have questions, so many people deny God's existence, so many people don't care about God's existence. And that is precisely a consequence of the Horban, of the destruction of the temple. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Torah expressly tells this to us. God says, haster aster bayom hahu. God says, when the, when the temple is destroyed and the Jews are in exile, God says, I will hide my face from you. You're not going to be able to see me. You're going to have doubts. It's going to appear that I'm gone. That is the substance of what it is that we're suffering. So how do we know what to mourn if what we are mourning is precisely what we have never experienced. Okay, so we have to try. We have to try to feel it. We have to try to appreciate the loss. So we study about it. We have tools. Saturday night, we will read the book of Echa Lamentations. Saturday night and Sunday morning, we have Kinos, the beautiful, mournful poems, the dirges of beautiful, intricate poetry. We fast, we sit low to the floor. All of these things are supposed to help us to imagine what it is that we are missing. But keep in mind that all of these things are tools they are intermediaries to help us reach the goal of internalizing the emotion of loss and grief. Every year, this Shabbos, this coming Shabbos, the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av, is a complex and difficult day. It's like Shabbos during Shiva, when, God forbid, a person is sitting Shiva. There's always a Shabbos in the middle. Shabbos does not cancel the Shiva like a Yom Tov does. But on Shabbos, even though we are in Shiva, we do not allow any overt public expressions of mourning. 
one Shabbos. And so this Shabbos, we will enjoy meat and wine and Shabbos clothes. No overt mourning, though the underlying trauma seeps in. It's our custom at Adaf and in many, many other places that the famous song that we sing on Friday night, L'cha Dodi, this beautiful, joyous song, and we have so many different melodies that we use for this beautiful song, this Shabbos. We use the haunting melody of Elitzion. And I'm going to discuss this with you in just a few moments. A sad, mournful, haunting melody that is borrowed from Tishabov itself. And especially, especially on Shabbos Day, we read the Haftorah. The passage from the prophet that we read after the Torah reading. The Haftorah that we read this Shabbos gives its name to this Shabbos. We refer to this Shabbos as Shabbos Chazon, the Shabbos of the Vision which refers to the opening words of the passage from the prophet Isaiah, Yeshayahu Hanavi, that we read. Chazon Yeshayahu ben Amotz, Asher Chaza al Yehuda val Yerushalayim. This is the vision of Isaiah that he prophesied concerning Israel and Jerusalem. And when we read this Haftorah, this Shabbos, much of it is very difficult to hear. Certainly, it intrudes on the spirit of Shabbos. Mikav regel vad rosh ein bolmasom. From the heel of my foot to the top of my head, there is no place without bruises. I am covered with wounds and cuts and burns. They have not been bound in bandages and they are not healed. God says, it, it, it sounds impossible to say these words. God says to us through the prophet Yeshayahu, your observance of the holidays and your observance of the new moon, Rosh Chodesh, son on nafshi. God says, I hate it. I detest it. Hayu alai Torah. You're bothering me. You're a burden to me. And when you spread your arms in front of me to pray to me, God says, I will avert my eyes from you. Even when you engage in lengthy prayers, I'm not listening. Because because your hands are filled with blood. You are hypocrites. 
You pretend to be righteous people, but you oppress those who are weaker than you. You pretend to be pious, but when no one is looking, you steal from others. You pretend to be moral, but you subvert morality and justice. God says, I'm tired of you. I'm not going to listen to you. I avert my eyes from you. To even say those words. But, like on Tishabav itself, there is a path to hope and to redemption. The prophet continues, Rachatsu, wash yourself. Hizaku hasiru rami alalechem. Cleanse yourself, purify yourself, get rid of the evil that is within you. Limdu hetiv dirshu mishpat ashru chamutz shiftu yasam rivu almana. You know what to do. This is not a foregone conclusion, God says through the prophet. You know what you need to do. Wash your hands of evil. Stop mistreating the vulnerable. Stop perverting justice. Learn what you're supposed to do. It's clear. Here's a path for you. And here's the most amazing thing. Because although the passage contains lines of such despair, but it ends in a positive note. The Ashiva Shavtaya Kavirishona, God says, I'm telling you, it looks bad now, and I am upset now, and right now it's it's not good, but there is a path, there is a way out of this, and God says at the very end, I'm making you a promise. Ashiva Shavtaya I will return your leaders the way they once were, not the kind of leaders we have today. But real leaders who stand for morality, who stand for principle, who stand for justice, who speak out against injustice, I'm going to return them to you. It will again happen that you will refer to Jerusalem not as destroyed, not as embarrassed, not as humiliated, not as scorned but a city of righteousness. I am promising you will happen. Here's the path to get there, and I am promising you that you will reach that. Kirya Nemana, a place of truthfulness. Siyum b'mishpati pade, Zion will be redeemed with justice. V'shavea b'tztaka, and those Jews will be able to return to her with righteousness. And the way that this Haftorah ends, and I mean, it's so emotional and on Shabbos to read these words, but at least it ends in this way. It ends the same way that Echa ends, the book of Lamentations, the next to the last verse. After all of the castigating and all of the 
uh, 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 indictment and all of the sadness and the description of the destruction and the hunger and the cruelty, it ends. Hashivenu Hashem Elecha Venashuva. God, return us to you and we will come back. Renew our days the way they were before. Before this mess, before these mistakes, let's get back to that. And Kinus ends, I'm sorry, Echa ends exactly the same way Kinus ends. After all of those paragraphs of trauma and mourning and sadness, we end with another quote from Isaiah Yeshayahu Hanavi, this time near the end of his work, where he says, Ki nicham Hashem Zion. God will comfort Zion. Nicham kol God will rebuild all of its destroyed places. V'yasem midbarak Eden, and God will cause the desert to flourish like a garden. Hashem and the desolate place like the garden of God, Sason joy and gladness will be found there, Toda, thanksgiving, the call Zimra, and the sound of singing, celebratory. That's the complexity the ambiguity of this Shabbos. It's not exactly mourning because we're not supposed to have overt mourning, although I got to tell you that Haftorah kind of pushes me over the edge. I don't know about you. It's not exactly Shabbos. It's Shabbos, but there's some stuff seeping in. That's the complexity of this Shabbos every year. But this year is different. Because this year, 2022-5782, this year, this Shabbos, starting tomorrow night, it's not the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av. This Shabbos is Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av. Tonight is the beginning of the eighth day of the month of Av. Shabbos is the ninth day of the month of Av. Now, due to that, the fasting and the lamentation and the kinos is pushed off till Saturday night and Sunday. So, what is the status of this Shabbos? Because after all, it is actually Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. What should we be feeling on this Shabbos? Rabbi Avram Yehoshua Heschel writes that Shabbos Chazon, the Shabbos this year, this Shabbos, falling as it does on Tisha B'Av itself, is the greatest, holiest Shabbos of the year. How is that possible? What does that mean? Earlier I mentioned Eletzion. This is one of the keynotes that we recite this Sunday morning 
I have always felt that this passage is one of the most dramatic, emotional, moving, profound passages of all of Tisha B'Av. Elitzion ve'areha, lament Zion and her cities. Kamo isha b'tzireha, like a woman in her labor pains. V'chibsula chagura sak, like a young woman mourning. Albal neureha the death of the husband of her youth. The tune is so haunting. And this is the tune that we borrow tomorrow night for L'Chadodi. Elitzion <clears throat> ve'areho Kemoisha betzireha, v'chibzula chagurasak, alba neureha. Several years ago, I was thinking a lot about those lines. While Marcy and I were in New York for the birth and the bris of our grandson, many of us know the unique and superlative joy of holding a newborn baby grandchild. And if you have had that tremendous highlight of life, I wish it to you again. And if you have not had that yet, I bless that you will have it. The two weeks that we were in New York for the birth and the bris, we were so happy. We were celebrating. And at a certain moment, I felt it was a little bit incongruous because it was within the three weeks leading up to Tisha B'Av. It's a period of mourning, but we were celebrating. And thinking about that, I realized that this passage, Elitzion, is actually teaching us a very deep lesson about how we approach Tisha B'Av this year, and specifically about how we approach this coming Shabbos. So let me start with a question. When Tisha B'Av we mourn for Jerusalem, for the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple, which was destroyed on the 9th of Av, about 2,000 years ago. It's been 2,000 years. Why don't we get over it? The Rambam says, Maimonides writes, A person should not engage in excessive mourning. Okay, we discussed this recently. What excessive is, is itself somewhat subjective. But, you know, we have a structure, a process of periods of mourning. God forbid someone passes away, there's Shiva for seven days, there's Shloshim for 30 days, there's Shana Rishon of the first year, there's Yartzeit, an anniversary every year. And 
it is normal to gradually, for most people, to gradually heal and to have the pain not go away, but to at least the ache of it to ease a little bit. Staying in Shiva every year for 2,000 years? It seems abnormal. It seems unhealthy. It seems wrong. Why do we do it on Tisha B'Av? So there are several answers. I actually shared one with you a few weeks ago. But allow me to share an answer suggested by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs draws our attention to the narrative in Bereshis, where Yosef and his brothers are at odds and Yosef's brothers first want to kill him. But then they decide they're just going to sell him into slavery. But how do they explain when they come back to their father Yaakov? Where's his favorite son Yosef? So they make up a story. They take his cloak, which is recognizable that it belongs to Yosef. They dip it in the blood of an animal. They bring it home. And Yaakov, on his own, surmises a wild animal must have killed my son Yosef. And the Torah tells us, and all the sons and daughters came to comfort their father, but he refused to be comforted. Same question. Why did Yaakov refuse to be comforted? The Medrash suggests Yaakov refused to be comforted because he refused to give up hope that Yosef was still alive, as indeed he was. And listen carefully to the insight of Rabbi Sachs. Hope is not costless. It carries a considerable price. Those who hope refuse to be comforted. But that cost is worthwhile if, in fact, it leads to regaining what we lost, overcoming what we faced, benefiting from what we have suffered. Our hope for the complete redemption of Israel is the reason for our sorrow on Tisha B'Av. Because without that hope that it will return, we would have long ago unburdened ourselves of that sorrow. We are living today in a very special time. And we must recognize it and not take it for granted. For 2,000 years, no Jew experienced what we experience today. We are seeing today the redemption at hand. We already see the fulfillment of the prophecy of the rebuilding of Jerusalem prophesied by Zechariah Hanavi, the prophet Zechariah, which I shared with you recently. We already see the fulfillment of the prophecy of the flowering of Israel. We are starting to see the fulfillment of the prophecy of the ingathering of exiles from the four corners of the world. It is happening now, present tense. Our tears this year on Tisha B'Av are different than they have been for the last 2,000 years because this year our tears are an expression of seeing the benefit of our refusal 
to be comforted. Elitzion ve'areha. The mourning and sadness of Zion, the destruction, the exile, is described with two haunting metaphors, but they are very different from each other. And they speak to different experiences and they address different eras of history. Kibsula Chagura Sak Albal Neureha. The sadness on Tishabav is like the sadness of a young woman who is mourning the untimely death of her husband. That's just tragic. She will never be the same. He will never return. And for almost 2,000 years, that was our perception of what happened to Jerusalem. That was the metaphor that resonated for us. It's over. It's gone. And that is what we felt and expressed on Tisha B'Av. Like a woman with labor pains about to give birth. It is such a different metaphor. Not in the severity of the pain, but in the duration of the pain and in the result, in the aftermath of that pain. Because a woman may suffer terribly in childbirth, but it ends with God's help. And sadly, there are exceptions, but normally it ends in birth. It ends in life. It ends in joy. And this metaphor speaks directly to us today in a way that it did not speak to the Jewish people for the last 2,000 years. That's what I realized sitting in the hospital waiting for my grandson to be born. This Shabbos is the ninth day of Av, and we push off the fast until Saturday night and Sunday in honor of Shabbos, but this year in particular, the calendar has a deeper message. To quote Rabbi Dani Stom, this year we have a Tishabov of the future. A Tishabov, when we eat meat and drink wine and sing songs in a state of Shabbos joy. We celebrate Tishabov this year on Shabbos. And that's what Rabbi Heschel meant. When Tishabov falls on Shabbos itself, that Shabbos is the greatest Shabbos of the year, the holiest Shabbos of the year, because it is the opportunity to feel and express the anticipation of the approaching redemption, the coming to the end of exile, and we're able to appreciate that and celebrate that separate from the mourning and the sadness of Saturday night and Sunday. Both of these themes are present on every Tisha B'Av, and we'll discuss that another time. 
but they're mixed together. But when it falls like this, we have an entire day to focus exclusively on the comforting, on the consolation, on the approach of redemption. Several years ago, we were walking in Jerusalem's old city in the Jewish quarter. And I saw something that I had never seen before, and it surprised me. I have spent not as much as I want, but thank God, quite a bit of time walking the streets of the old city of Jerusalem. And in all of my time there, I'd never, ever seen this. There is a large house in the Jewish quarter of the old city. And on the outer wall of this home is a plaque. And the plaque reads, it's engraved in Hebrew, I'll translate it, Beis Baruch Mordechai. I'm sorry, <laughs> Beis Baruch Mizrahi, excuse me, wrong name. Beis Baruch Mizrahi, the home of Baruch Mizrahi. And it says, this home was built and dedicated in the year 1643, and it was dedicated by Baruch Mizrahi and his family in order to stand in this place and in order after his lifetime to be inherited by his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren for generations to come with one condition. That when the time comes for the Messianic era and the resurrection of the dead and Baruch Mizrahi, who passed away 375 years ago, comes back to life, Yashiv Hu Beveso. He wants his house back. I'm taking it back. You can have it. Enjoy it. My children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, Enjoy it, but I'm taking it back. It's a temporary gift. When Trias HaMesim comes, it's mine. That's the condition that I am leaving it to you for an inheritance. Imagine that. A house in Jerusalem in continuous ownership of one family for 375 years. And the connection between this family and Jerusalem is so strong that the original builder of the home 375 years ago still claims the right to return to his original ownership. May it happen to Baruch Mizrahi. And may it happen to all of us. Bimhera biyamenu speedily in our days. That's what this Shabbos is. May this coming Shabbos be a precursor of what Tishabav will become in the near future. The result of our years of tears of hope, which will be answered with the full and joyous redemption of Israel. My friends, I want to wish you a beautiful evening. 
and a superlative, celebratory, joyous Shabbos and a meaningful and uplifting Tisha B'Av. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.